0: Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. You're listening to Rock Chalk
1: Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson and I am in solo today. As we're getting ready for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, Kansas takes on UNLV tonight. Season finale for 2023. That's kind of sad a little bit. But, you know, what's not sad is we get to see KU football play again. And after Christmas with a post-Christmas bowl game as they're going for win number nine on the season. Which would be uh, pretty cool for this KU football program. We're going to be breaking down the game uh, throughout the show today. We will reserve the 4 o'clock hour for KU basketball talk. Because uh, they played on Friday against Yale, and uh, we'll break down that game for you coming up in the 4 o'clock hour and get to all of that. But uh, the rest of the show is going to be devoted to the Guaranteed Rate poll. We're going to preview the game here. Matt Tate of uh, R1S1 Sports is going to join us at 340. We've got some KU football audio to get to you between Lance Leipold and some of the players. Let's start right here. KU takes on UNLV tonight. 8 o'clock kickoff, 6.30 pregame here on KLWN and over on our sister station with 105.9 KISS. And there are a lot of questions, I think, for KU going into this game, um, specifically about how do you handle absences of particular individuals, right? There was uh, no Andy Kotelnicki in this game. Jim Zabrowski, the quarterback's coach, gets promoted to co-offensive coordinator. He's going to be calling the plays in this game. What is that going to look like? Is it going to look much different? Is it going to be more aggressive? Is it going to be more passing, more running? How different are things going to look? Lance Leipold said at a Hawk Talk last week that Jim Zabrowski is a very aggressive guy. So I think that could be fun for fans, especially in a game like this where a bowl game can be a bit of exhibition style. Maybe they do pass it more. Maybe they do take more shots. Maybe they do go for it on some more fourth downs in a game like this, which I think is a good thing uh, just overall and especially in a game like this. Uh, so what does that look like though overall uh the some of the the player personnel we we heard official word that dominic pooney and austin booker did not make the travel out with the team uh, pooney who is getting prepared for the nfl draft that means with him out at left tackle you would assume if you go by the two deep calvin clements the young true freshman from local free state high school going to be getting the start at left tackle you know that becomes an interesting storyline one that you know, if, if Calvin Clements plays well in this game as a true freshman, you're going to be like, holy cow, this kid's going to be amazing. Now, if he does struggle, you'll probably be like, OK, maybe there comes a question, you know, who would be the starting left tackle next year? Would it be Calvin Clements? Would it be a Logan Brown? Would they bring somebody in from the transfer portal? I don't think it would diminish the fact that you feel good about Calvin Clements in the future but there certainly is more to be gained with a good performance than there would be with bad performance. Bad performance, you can easily point to, okay, he's just a true freshman thrown into the fire, whatever. Good performance is like, okay, this kid's going to be, you know, an all-Big 12 player in a year or two in, in a future NFL draft pick. So uh, a lot kind of going on there. You look at the other side of the offensive line, and sounds like Bryce Cable dude, is going to be questionable for this game with an injury, which means if he's out at right tackle, or Majreed Adams, he's more of been a guard, but we've seen him at times play tackle. What does he look like at right tackle, you know, you have questions about the offensive line. How is that going to look? You have questions on the defensive line. Gage Keyes is transferred away. You know, does that mean more playing time for guys like Caleb Taylor and Keenan Caldwell in addition to DJ Withers, Tommy Dunn, and uh, Devin Phillips? Uh, no Austin Booker, so Hayden Hatcher gets the start. You know what? What are you going to see from Hatcher? What are you going to see from Joyner? And low key, Hatcher's had a good season for you. D- does Jeremy Robinson step up to kind of fill the void, fill the role that that's uh, kind of left without Austin Booker? All the way across you kind of look at the roster and now there are some questions to some key positions and key players because of maybe opt-outs or injuries or coaches leaving for other spots or players leaving for other spots so that becomes interesting in this game UNLV hasn't had to deal with as much of that uh, they don't really have any injuries they, they've gotten players back it sounds like uh, coaches are sticking around aren't leaving uh, they, they've had a couple transfers but it's like a fourth string running back and you know, a backup receiver who didn't really play and some backup DBs. They did lose one DB who was playing and, and he went to Baylor, but, you know, overall, you're, you're kind of losing a little bit more there. Uh, and obviously, you always wonder about the motivation going into a bowl game. You know, both teams should be highly motivated into this one. UNLV has an opportunity to win 10 games. That does not happen very often for this UNLV program, but just in general in college football, 10 wins is a benchmark number. Uh, Kansas, meanwhile, if they can get their ninth win, it would be the sixth team in program history with nine or more wins. It would be the seventh team in program history with a bowl win, and it would really finish off what feels like the beginning cycle of Lance Leipold establishing a really good foundation here at Kansas. It would feel fitting for them to win a bowl game to cap off this group of players like your Rich Millers, Mike Nowitzki, Mason Fairchild's, Jason Beans, uh, those players of the world to have them go out on top. So both teams do have, I think, high motivation to play in this game. Now, how important is this game? Question we always ask out of our uh, previews here. I mean, it, it's not as important as as winning like a, a game against K-State. Um, but if you were to match this up with with some regular season games, yeah, it'd be more important because it, it's not as much about the opponent. It's about finishing the season strong. It's about carrying that momentum into the offseason. You know, it, you don't even have to win your bowl game every time to, to carry that momentum. I think we saw that last year. you lost, but they were able to carry momentum from the bowl performance into the offseason. But because this one you're favored by double digits, you kind of do need to win the game, right? And eventually you're going to have to win one of these bowl games. I think Utah's lost like six or seven straight bowl games, so that would be pretty unfortunate if that happened. But yeah, man, it it is important. Now, as far as the UNLV scouting report, they are 9-4 and on the season. Uh, The key games to note, they beat Vanderbilt in uh, 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 the game that was going on, like, when you were trying to watch the KU-Nevada game. Uh, they actually won at Nevada by more than Kansas did, 45-27. They beat Wyoming, who's a team who was tied 10-10 going into the fourth with Texas, and Wyoming beat Texas Tech, and, and Wyoming ended up winning eight games themselves. Uh, they beat Wyoming by 20, and they also beat Air Force, a team who went 9-4 and four and just uh, kind of spanked James Madison in the Armed Forces Bowl. They beat them by four. That's a, that's a good collection of wins to show what this UNLV team is. They did lose their last two games, though. One to San Jose State, who was a bowl team, uh, they lost that one by six. The other to Boise State in the Mountain West Conference Championship. They lost by 24. The other two losses were earlier in the year. Fresno State kind of middle in the year by seven. And then Michigan 35-7. to seven. Uh, But you, know, you look at this offense for UNLV, and, and it's an offense led by Jaden Maeva, who is a freshman quarterback who ended up having a really good year He's he I don't know that I would quite call him a dual threat quarterback, but he can run the football. He's a decent runner there. 261 on the ground, 3.8 carry three touchdowns, efficient enough passer. He's averaging 8.8 yards per throw, which that's a really good number. Uh, so they have him and then they have three running backs that they'll rotate through. Vincent Davis has over 700 yards. Uh, Jaden Thomas has 500, and Donovan Lester has over 400, and and all three of them are at 4.7 or more per carry. Thomas has 12 touchdowns, so we've got three running backs they can rotate through. Ricky White is the guy to watch. Almost 1,400 receiving yards for them on the outside. They also have Jacob DeJesus, who has 52 catches for 5'11". It's pretty much just those two guys, though. White has 81 catches. DeJesus has 52. No other player on the team has 20 or more catches. And I think you'll look at that and say that's actually a good matchup for KU because you're basically saying you have a team who has two good targets and doesn't have a depth of targets. Well, guess what? KU has two stud corners. So you should be able to mitigate that a little bit in this game. But uh, they finished uh, with 34.3 points per game, which led the Mountain West. Fifth in yards per play, sixth in yards per carry, third in yards per pass in their Mountain West ratings. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, they've uh, given up 27 points per game. That's seventh in the Mountain West. They are eighth in yards allowed per play in the mountain West fifth in yards allowed per carry ninth in yards allowed per pass. Uh, this is a defense that is barely inside the top 100 overall on ESPN's SP plus. So they have very much kind of struggled on that end of, of the field. Um, and you look at some of the defensive players, like they don't really have like that one, I guess, breakout guy who, who has like a ton of sacks like KU had with, with Austin Booker, uh, their leader in sacks has three with Dre Williams. But they run a 3-3-5 where it's multiple. You're going to send different blitzes. Uh, the leading tackler, Jackson Woodard, was a transfer from Arkansas. They've got some players there, but it hasn't come together. You look at some of the success rate stuff on the offensive side of the ball. Um, UNOV is 20th in success rate in Per pass, they're only 108th in running, so they're a better passing offense than a, a running offense. Defensively, they're 58th in defensive pass success rate, 33rd in in run defense success rate. So from those numbers, they've been better passing the ball offensively. They've been better defending the run than uh, defending the pass, but they've really struggled on early downs on uh, the defensive side of the ball. Um, they've also Overall, 88th in EPA per per pass, 67th in EPA per run. KU is 20th and 10th in those two respectively on offense. So you look at this one, there could be a lot of points. That's the expectation. Over under 67, KU should be able to have some advantage. And you look at this UNLV defense, they're 8th in passer efficiency against. Um, KU should be able to hit some big shots on them. Sometimes they give up too many big shots on the defense side of the ball. They're kind of feast or famine there, but there's been a lot of... um, big plays that they've kind of given up on that back end. So I expect KU to have a big passing game. Uh, One thing that could be kind of an X factor here, they have a really strong special teams unit. They're first in the Mountain West in field goal percentage, PAT percentage, and in yards per kick return. They're also third in the Mountain West in net yards per punt, second in yards per punt return. Uh, This is one of the best special teams units in the country. They have one of the best field goal kickers in the country if it comes down to that. Jose Pizano is uh, 25-27. 93%, he has hit nine field goals 40 or longer, including two of two on 50 or longer, uh, including hitting a 52-yarder in the Mountain West Championship game. So, really good special teams unit, and that can be a little bit scary for KU special teams unit that maybe has struggled down the stretch. What scares me the most among all that with UNLV, um, the special team scares me a little bit, but maybe with the time off, KU can get that figured out. I would say what else scares me is this is more about KU internally, some of the player losses. What is that going to do specifically on the offensive line? Does that make things more difficult for Jason Bean? But uh, here's something that, that UNLV does really well that KU's kind of struggled with. UNLV is first in the Mountain West in third down conversion rate, over 50%. KU is only 10th in the Big 12 in third down conversion defense. And also, when you look at some of the the more analytic numbers, UNLV is 18th in the country in third and fourth down success rate. Kansas defense 111th in the country in third and fourth down success rate. So those money downs where UNLV does have a lot of them haven't been a great early down team. Um, They're, you know, getting a ton of third down opportunities. Are you going to be able to get off the field now on the flip side? Um, KU has been a good third-down conversion offense. UNLV has been a good third-down conversion defense, but it's more so about UNLV on the offensive side on those key downs. The other one is the red zone that scares me. UNLV is first in the Mountain West in red zone offense. KU is 14th in the big 12 in red zone defense. So those are things that can kind of take over a game, but those are also things that can change in a one game sample and can actually favor KU in this game. And if you take away one of their strengths and turn it into an equal, you have a lot of other advantages. And speaking of which, where do I think KU has some of the edge in this game? I think passing the ball. I think passing the ball on early downs is going to be a big advantage. doesn't mean you, you do it every time, right? You still got to run the ball and establish that and make them think you're running the ball. Cause then it's more efficient passing the ball on early downs. Um, Passing the ball in general, KU should be able to hit some big plays, and I fully expect them to in this game. Uh, UNLV, even though they've been a better run defense, you should be able to have an edge there, but I think you have a bigger edge passing the ball than you do running the ball, specifically on this team. I think offense in general, though, uh, should have an advantage for, for KU here in this one. In theory, KU's defensive line versus the UNLV offensive line should be an advantage for KU. UNLV's offensive line has not been great when you look at some of the pro football focus grades across the board. But without Austin Booker, what does that do for this KU defensive line? I still think they can have an advantage, and you hope they can in this game. But that is a big loss to not have headed into this one. As far as the most interesting matchup in this game, it is the KU depleted offensive line against the UNLV defensive line. Like I said, UNLV's defensive line has not been overly incredible this year. They don't have a, a ton of sack numbers or a ton of, you know, tackle for loss numbers or anything. They have a couple players who have had solid seasons though. And, and it is uh, certainly when you're playing the three, three, five, more about, you know, what, what are the backers doing? Can you read what the backers and the DBs are doing? Who's blitzing and can you figure out what you're doing and, and where you need to get a hat on a hat and, and playing smart, on the offensive line and pointing things out and knowing where you need to go and knowing who you need to block and getting to that second level on some smaller, quicker players. That's important as anything, but, you know, KU's offensive line without Dominic Pooney, your best offensive lineman, at the most important offensive line position, without another tackle, what does that do for you in this game? Because everything I said about KU should have success passing the ball is, is I don't know, it's, it's kind of reliant on the tackles holding up because if the tackles are not holding up and you're getting pass rush around the outside, then some of that pass ability goes away. And then you have to be more of a run first team, which KU can still get away with, but uh, certainly would make you a little bit more one-sided. KU wins this game. If what I would say, KU wins, I mean, I'm going to get the turnover thing out of the way. KU is the better team here. You you turn the ball over too much. You do stupid stuff. You give up too many special team stuff. Uh, That's how you let them, I guess, kind of get into this one. I would also say KU wins if the tackle play with Armagerie Adams, assuming he's in for an injured Bryce Cable, and Calvin Clements is just proficient. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be as good as Pooney and Cable do. Can it just be proficient where it's not a problem, basically, right? Uh, If you establish the run, because I think you should have advantage passing the ball. We've seen KU a couple times this year against 335 defenses. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, where they haven't been able to run the ball as well against some other teams. If you can establish the run, now your offense becomes kind of unstoppable in this game. And then the other one is um, on the defense side of the ball. If you take away those two receivers, I think that takes away a lot of their offense. And I think KU has an opportunity to do so with uh, Kobe Bryant and uh, Melo Dotson in this one. All right, let's get to some uh, Lance Leipold audio. Matt Tate will join us after that. We uh, will get to also, our KU football game picks later in the show. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Derek Johnson flying with you solo today here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Except for right now, we're joined by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. He is in Phoenix getting ready for the guaranteed Ray Bull tonight between Kansas and UNLV. 8 o'clock kickoff. Pre-game will start at 6.30 here on KLWN. Matt, thanks for hopping on here. I guess... uh First things first, being being down in Phoenix. What is the vibe? Does it feel like it has been uh, the city of Phoenix taken over by Jayhawks?
1: Uh, this little corner that I'm on does it for sure. There, yeah, I've seen a ton of people. I um, I actually flew down this morning and was able to spend Christmas with the family all the way through it. And um, then I got here and went out and checked in and got some lunch and the whole bit. And I mean, literally everywhere you turn was some sort of KU person, whether it was a fan or, uh, an employee or a family member or David Lawrence. I mean, you know, I'm name dropping now just so you know, I'm cool, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, there, there, there are people everywhere. So I, I don't know what that means. Um, obviously it's, and I'm, I'm in my hotel room right now and I can, I mean, I'm looking out the window and I can see chase Field from my window. So, this is this is obviously a really good area to stay, and I'm sure many, many, many KU fans chose this area for that reason because it's walkable and it's right there. Um, but I don't know what that means. I, I'm really interested to see, you know, if it's just highly populated in this little area or if tons and tons and tons of KU fans made the trip uh, down this year. I, I I don't know. With the Christmas holiday and all that, it's going to be very interesting. But the whole thing's interesting, man. They're playing football on a baseball field um you know it's a day after christmas it's uh it's an interesting matchup there's some factors that make it even more interesting when you talk about who's not playing for kansas so i i think it's uh a, a fun night ahead so it, it'll be interesting but yeah there's definitely a, a a fair amount of ku fans from what i can tell so far and and yeah it's like 50 degrees and sunny and um meanwhile to what snowing I've, here yeah yeah, I was gonna say compared to what I left there this morning, it seems like that's a major upgrade. So I won't rub it in any more than I already have.
0: Yeah, no, that that sounds pretty nice. Uh, you mentioned some of the the players that are going to be missing in this game tonight and um, possible injuries, players opting out, whether it's draft, transferring, whatever. Uh, it seems like the biggest hits going to be on on the line of scrimmage for KU. Austin Booker, Gage Keys on, on the defensive side, on the offensive side, uh, could be seeing Calvin Clements get his first start tonight. What do you kind of think about some of these opt-outs in in terms of, like, is it enough to make you think that, that, you know, KU might not come out on top of this game because of some of the players not playing? Yeah, it definitely
1: is. Um, Largely because of the nature of the positions, right? I mean, you know, obviously the quarterback position is the most important in maybe all of sports, and and KU's got their guy ready to go tonight um, in Jason Bean. So that's good news. But after that, when it comes to football left tackle and, and edge pass rusher. I mean, those might be the two and three most important spots on a team. And, and, you know, they're losing, they're losing both of those with, with Booker out and, and, uh, Dominic Pooney out as well. So, um, it, it, it will be interesting and they've had time to practice that way. They've known that, you know, it's not like they just found this out today. So, uh, I'm really excited to see what Calvin Clements, does and can do um i i think this is a really cool opportunity for him and and a chance for him to not only get some good experience and show something and and feel good about it but but i think that you know what he gains today could be a real just a a lightning bolt almost to fast track him heading into next year and you know the winter and spring football and all that stuff so he he's really really fun to think about and, and exciting to, to watch the, the D line is, you know, those are two big players and, and Gage keys was playing his biggest and best football of the year, the last three, four games. And, and Booker was a all big 12 guy all year. You know, I mean, he was awesome. So they'll, they'll be missing those guys for sure. But you, you, you there are other names there, Jeremy Robinson, um, Caden Hatcher even right. Like, uh, DJ withers, uh, Tommy Dunn. I mean, there's plenty of D linemen that you've heard of that have had good names and good seasons and stood out for their play. So um, it may not come off the edge as much, but I don't think the D lines as affected as, as maybe the offensive line is. And, and again, you're, you're, you're losing your most important position and maybe your best player altogether. And that line has been, as you know, uh, the last two years, they've just been able to stay together and, and been so good and so, so strong and so productive. And the continuity, there's been a big part of that. So, uh, with booting out and if, if Bryce cable do doesn't go and they're shifting guys around and moving guys around, it's still a lot a position that has some depth and there's guys that can get the job done for sure. But, um, it, it, it's going to be different. You know, it, it really, it really will. So, um, that's the price of doing business these days. That is college football. That is a good sign. If you don't have players opting out of the bowl game, you're probably not a very good program yeah. because a, you need to be in a bowl game. B you need to have good players and and all of a sudden snap your fingers. And in just a couple of short years, Kansas has both. So I think this is something that while it's not a lot of fun and it does impact the game and, and may kind of create a little bit of chaos tonight, um, I think it's something that Kansas fans should certainly get used to because frankly, they're, they're probably pretty lucky that it isn't more guys opting out tonight. I mean, you know, Jason Bean could, um, he he's got a future in football that he wants to think about and it's, it's next. And, you know, he, he doesn't need to get hurt for that. Um, Devin Neal could, we don't know what his decision is even yet, but he could have made that decision already that he was, turning pro and and he could not play in this game. So I think we're still on the front end enough with a lot of those veteran guys and and impact players on this roster that they still think that being in a bowl game and playing in a bowl game is a big deal because they long for it for so long. And so they're like the hell I'm not going to play in the game. And that's really cool. But I think as we move forward, if this streak of bowl games, you know, reaches four, five, six in a row, I, I think opt-outs are going to become even more popular at Kansas like they are everywhere else. So enjoy this tonight while while it's just a few players because it could be many more in the future. And while that would suck for the actual bowl game, it's, it's not necessarily the worst sign either.
0: When you look at Devin, Neal, I, I think it'll be kind of interesting because you have the tie-ins of you know former baseball and football player on the baseball field. Uh, like you said, it could be his last game at Kansas. It might not. Maybe he comes back for another year and uh, tries to break the the all-time KU rushing record. Um, He has an outside chance of breaking the single-season rushing record if he had just a a monstrous game. He'd need like 240, something like that on the ground, which I I guess wouldn't be impossible if he really got going, but also probably wouldn't predict it either. Um, When you look at his career, if this is it, and again, like you said, could be another year, what do you think his legacy he would leave, and and how impactful do you think he can be in tonight's game, especially if his this, this is the last time we get to see him?
1: Yeah, I just put up a story a little bit ago about kind of the legacy factor of this game tonight, and 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 who on this Kansas roster really stands to impact their legacy the most. And, you know, it's got seven or eight names on there. Obviously, we talked about a few of them already. Dominic Pooney's one, he's not even playing. But, again, that's such a big news kind of thing for this program. And for him, I think that, that by him not playing, that's part of his legacy. Right? And he'll be remembered for a long time and, and hopefully playing in the NFL for a long time because he's a terrific dude and a terrific player. So he's on there. Jason Bean's on there. You know, you got to win this game right now even being himself, I talked to him last week and and his, he brought it up. I didn't even have to bring it up, but he brought it up. The, the two point conversion pass that sailed out of the end zone last year. I mean, he's still thinking about that. That's still sort of a sour taste. And so he would love nothing more than to finish this off right by playing well. Sure. But winning the game more than anything. And, And so, you know, Devin Neal, same thing. Devin Neal's got a chance to, um, to really put an exclamation point on his career. And then whatever happens from there happens. Um, I think that there's a, there's a, a, a strong likelihood that whatever he does tonight will be kind of what, you know, is remembered as his last uh, big impact. Obviously if he comes back and, and achieves those things that you were talking about, then yeah, th- those will be, those will be things that will trump that and be remembered forever and all that. But at the same time, like, you know doing this kind of you know having a big game in bowl games and and winning a bowl game and things like that that's just not commonplace at Kansas. It's not automatic, you know, and so he's already done so much. I think Devin's legacy is solid and cemented, and you know he can add to it, sure but it's it's not going to be anything short of one of the best legacies that we've seen at k u in a long long time i mean he's already talent wise and production wise and numbers wise, he's already up there in that conversation. But then when you combine that with the local kid from Lawrence doing it, the kid who could have gone a lot of other places, but decided to do it for his hometown team. And then, Oh, guess what? He helped turn it around. I mean, that, that's the legacy as much as anything as much as the numbers. And so nothing that happens here tonight or next year, if he comes back or even if he doesn't come back, I mean, none of that will, will, Impact that. That's already set. That's already that's already the Devin Neal legacy. Um, the rest is just gravy, I think. So um, could he go for two fifty tonight and have a big night and be remembered for that? Yeah, you bet. And um, I, I also did last week. Uh, I looked at the KU bowl records and and did sort of a you know the the five records that could fall out here, and two of them were were Devin Neal type things: um, most rushing yards in a game in a bowl game for Kansas anyway. And then longest run, I think, I think the longest run, 67 yards. Um, Devin Neal's not a burner, but he could go. I mean, he, he, he could, uh, he could, he could go 68 and have that record. Um, and I can't remember the, 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 the rushing yards, most rushing yards in a in a bowl game was like one twenty or one forty. wasn't that high. Mm. Um, so that's another one that he could very easily get tonight. And, and you think uh, Kansas
0: as a team can score quicker than they did uh, last time they were in this bowl when it was the Insight Bowl? Probably not.
1: Probably <laughs> not. Yeah. If if they do, it won't be a Devin Neal run. I promise you that because as fast as he can be and as good as he can go. Um, to having Todd Reese hit Briscoe like that to care, cover that much ground in the air. Uh, yeah. That, that's, that's ridiculous. That that'll, you know, and, and th- there it is right there, right? That's 15 years later. We're still talking about that play. And uh, you didn't even have to mention the play specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's the kind of thing that bowl games do and, and your legacy can be, and that wasn't a big bowl, right? Like that they had just played in the orange bowl. The insight bowl was not a big deal, mm-hmm. but it still was a, was a memorable moment. And that's what these games give you as much as anything. They give you the stage to put up a moment like that. And if you're ready to to capitalize, you you could be remembered forever for that. So a lot on the line tonight, even though they're a double digit favorite and, and even though it's not the sexiest of opponents and all that stuff, um, there still is a lot on the line. And and I, I just, I just can't help but feel like these guys are so freaking ready to play and, and ready to, 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 to kind of erase what happened last year, getting to a bowl was cool last year, they really enjoyed it, and they competed and that was fun, but they still lost and that sucks If they can kind of get on the other side of that this year and take that into an off season, I think you know the arrow just continues to point up for kansas football and and the future continues to get brighter and brighter so it's uh it's it's yeah it's gonna be exciting to see what what they what they make of this opportunity tonight.
0: What do you think is more likely, Kansas wins by double digits or Nick Timberlake averages double digits the rest of the season?
1: (laughs) Kansas wins by double digits. I would even say it's more likely that Kansas wins by 30 or more than it is Nick Timberlake averaging double digits. not buying
0: into the hype after Friday night.
1: I don't hate it. I think that was much needed, and I think good for him, and he's a fantastic dude, and you you. It didn't take a genius to see how hard he was pressing and how much he needed a game like that. Um, I don't know if the opportunity is going to be there quite as much. And um, and and I still think we might have talked about this last week, but I, I still think the, the 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 formula is still the same, right? Like he he plays in the first half a handful of minutes, gets a couple of shots up. If they go, he plays more minutes. If they don't, he probably doesn't. And so to average double digits out of that kind of a playing time situation. Cause obviously everyone knows Johnny Furphy wasn't there the other night. And um, that may or may not have had a huge impact on his ability to get going, but it certainly didn't hurt. So uh, yeah, I think I would take KU by 30 tonight over Timberlake at 10.0 or greater the rest of the way. But if, if you're right, and I'm not saying you picked that, but I guess I did. Uh, <laughs> so if, if it is Timberlake, we'll say it that way. Uh, then then there's your there's your national champion right there. If he can average double digits the rest of the way, KU's going to win the title.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think uh, it's very astute because th- wow. that's certainly something they need, and uh, you saw the difference in the offense when you started hitting some threes at the end there. Uh, okay, what do you guys have going on right now at uh, r1s1sports.com, including uh, coverage for the bowl game?
1: Yeah, well, we had a ton of coverage down here this week. We were fortunate enough to have a, a student at Arizona State do some freelance work for us. Um, he was already here. His family came to him for Christmas, so he did a little bit of work on all the stuff that had been happening around here. Um, so there's a lot of bowl, pre-Bowl coverage stuff. And uh, and then, of course, the regular stick of stuff that I've already talked about, the Bowl records thing. And I did a 10 players uh, who, who could most – I guess have the best odds of becoming named MVP of this game if Kansas wins it, because they do give away an offensive and a defensive MVP at these bowl games. So there's four names on offense, four names on defense, and a long shot of sorts on each side of the ball. You want to guess the long shot? I don't know. Maybe you read it, but um, but but if, even if you didn't, uh, or even if you did, do you want you want to guess the long shot on offense and the long shot on defense?
0: Yeah. Do we have um, time
1: for you to guess.
0: Yeah. No. Let's do it. Let's see. I mean, I'm gonna guess on offense. Do we go Jared Casey? Ding, ding, ding! You
1: are a monster, man.
0: Yeah, hell yeah! You never guess against the long shot there. And then on the defensive side, uh, um, I don't know. OJ Burrows? Maybe it's like a pick six or something. I like to guess. Um, I really, yeah, I really
1: do. Um, I I went with. uh, Excuse me. I went with uh, Robinson, Robinson. And largely because because of the fact that that Booker's out. Right? Like, there's there's a big opportunity there for someone. They don't play the exact position, and they can they can play together, and they did do that plenty of times. But. They need someone to get off the edge, and I don't know that you would look at this game or any game and say, "Oh, well, he's a likely MVP candidate." Right? He's he's been a very solid player all year, but I don't know that anybody would say he's a likely MVP candidate. But tonight, with the circumstances being what they are, I, I think that I think he's got a chance, and and he's certainly got the talent to to do it. So, I went with uh, Robinson, but I I like the Burroughs call. I actually did think about him. Um, he's had such a quietly solid year. I. I I think it's one you'll look back on and say, man, OJ was really good that year. But, you know, Mello Dotson was phenomenal. Kobe Bryant's Kobe Bryant. Kenny Logan did what he did. Marvin Grant had a great year, especially second half of the season. So, you know, it's one of those things where you can't remember all of them. They, they, some guys kind of get overshadowed a little bit by, by that. And I think Burroughs is that guy. But, um, but yeah, he could he could be in that conversation very easily. Um, and, uh, and the rest are just obvious. I mean, I think I probably just named most of them right there The the defensive ones for sure, um, were Logan, Dawson, Kobe Bryant. And then I put Rich Miller in there because I'd love nothing more than to see Rich Miller catch an interception pick six, like the one he dropped against K-State. Um, that would be a cool way for him to kind of cap off a, a great year, great career. And, uh, I, I'm sure I'm sure he would love nothing more than that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, fun things. They're just, they're just obviously kind of playing around as we were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on the game to get here. But, um, but we'll have all kinds of stuff tonight. I've got nothing but time. My flight's not until three o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So, um, I'll try to soak up as much of this experience as I can and see who we can get and talk to and find out and just have some fun with it. That's what these bowl games are. They're not, they're not do or die. They're not the most serious thing, but they're a lot of fun. And, and I think people can kind of just let it go. You know, they just, they just get out there and play and have fun and see what they can do. And, uh, it will be really interesting to see what this offense looks like tonight. Uh, shouldn't look much different, I don't think, but, you know, obviously no Andy Kotelnicki here. That's, that's a factor. I think that's, that's something we've all got to wonder what that's going to be like. So, um, a nice little tease for, for what's to come next season, perhaps.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, Matt, I appreciate the time, man. Safe travels back, and, and enjoy your time in uh, warm Phoenix.
1: We'll do. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You do the same, and uh, let's see. Next Tuesday is that uh, is that New Year's Day, or are we is that the second? That'll
0: be the day after New Year's. So uh, okay.
1: Well, Happy New Year, yeah. then, my friend. Let's let's, let's end it there. I, I I wanted to make sure I got Happy New Year into you in case I don't text you it. Twelve oh one, which I know you love when I
0: do that. I know. I always, yeah, the the yearly tradition. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, man, and uh, thanks for being the first one to tell me Happy New Year's.
1: There you go. Right on. All right, Derek. Enjoy the rest of your week, man. Thanks again.
0: All right, you too. That's Matt Tate. Check out his site, r1s1sports.com. One hour down, two to go. We got some KU basketball talk we're going to get to in the 4 o'clock hour, breaking down the KU Yale game, back to the KU football talk in the 5 o'clock hour. We got the game for you right here on KLWN Tonight. We've got KU UNLV for you at 8 o'clock, pregame starting at 6.30 between the Jayhawks and the Rebels. Uh, I certainly think it it could be a big game for Jason Bean when you look at UNLV has struggled against the pass defensively so far this season, as long as the KU offensive tackles with you know Calvin Clements and Armaj Reed Adams filling into those positions, can have big games. I think Devin Neal can have a big game, right? Who knows if this will be his last game or not, but Either way, uh, UNLV has given up multiple rushing touchdowns uh, in a lot of games so far this season. Um, I think that when you look at UNLV's given up a lot of big passing plays, maybe that means big games for a guy like Quentin Skinner, who usually hits some big ones. Maybe Lawrence Arnold, who's had a good connection with Jason Bean so far. Um, and then when you look at the defensive side of the football, you, know, you look at UNLV's two good receivers, that's going to mean it's a challenging game all game long for Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant. But maybe that means that Kobe Bryant gets targeted a little bit more in this game than he's used to in other games. Maybe this is one of those games where Kobe does get an interception. Uh, maybe this is a game where, where the KUDBs do come up big, and uh, maybe one of the other D linemen, you know, uh, you heard Matt talking about Jeremy Robinson there, or somebody can fill in for uh, Austin Booker not being there uh, as part of the team in this one. I, I do think UNLV's offensive line has not been great so far this season, so there is some avenue there. Uh, Jaden Maeva can run as a scrambling quarterback. KU hasn't been great against those uh, the last couple of years, but... Um, Maybe this is the type of game. I mean, it's got to help with all the personnel changes, coaching changes, getting prepared for a very uh, unique type of offense and a three-three-five. Always difficult to prepare for prepare for defense. I think it helps a ton for KU to have these extra couple of weeks off before this game specifically. So uh, again, that game at eight o'clock tonight for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Kansas takes down Yale in basketball on Friday night, seventy-five to sixty, the final score. We're gonna. Use our 4 o'clock hour here to talk some KU hoops. Then we'll get back to the KU football in the 5 o'clock hour. I'll have some uh, Bill Self audio, Nick Timberlake, Kevin McCuller in our next segment. And then get to our KU basketball takeaways. But this was kind of a uh, slower, gross, offensive first three quarters of the game, basically. First, I don't know, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 minutes of the game. And then KU went bananas. They got white hot over the final quartet of the game. At the 10-minute mark to go, Kansas was sitting at 45 points. There's not a great number in 30 minutes of action, right? Kansas had 30 points in the final 10 minutes of the game. So you go from averaging basically a point and a half per minute to averaging three points per minute, doubling your output over the final 10 minutes of the game. You were able to get out in transition. You were able to get in transition a lot because you were forcing steals, creating defensive pressure. You were able to hit a bunch of open threes. It was a masterpiece for KU down the final 10 minutes. First 30 minutes, probably the opposite of a masterpiece. And it was a game that was close. It was, you know, they were winning at, at like the 13-minute mark of the game. And, and they were winning for a majority of it at that point. Um, He ended up finishing strong and, and never relenting the lead from there. But uh, it was a game that we knew had the potential to be just that coming in that, you know, is your last game before Christmas break. You're looking ahead, to going home, traveling home to see your family and everything, playing an Ivy League team coming in who um, they're just looking forward to the game because they have an opportunity to play in Allen Fieldhouse and the team who's picked to win the Ivy League, who, who finished tied first with Princeton last year. Princeton team made the Sweet 16 and picked to win the league this year. There were a lot of ways this game could have been closer than you expected. Maybe you didn't expect it to be 25-14 at one point and for them to hold the lead for as long as they did to, like, you know, 13 minutes to go, but we knew those things were possibilities. So it was nice to see what KU showed over that final stretch of play. And in the end, they did win by 15. The spread was, depending on if you got it, 14 and a half, 15, 15 and a half. So theoretically you won by basically as much as you were kind of predicted to, but it still felt like one of those games where you still played a little bit closer to your competition than you might've hoped just based on how the majority of that game went so much so that Kansas continues to just plummet in some of the ranking systems. You look at some of your, like, like Ken Palms and Bart Torvick's, Um Kansas on Bart Torvik is now 17th. They're 47th on offense and 11th on defense. On Ken Palm, Kansas is now 16th. They're 36th on offense and 6th on defense. Now, is that indicative that maybe they're, I don't know, getting a little lucky by continually having closer games than you expect and continuing to win them? Is that indicative of, of a difficult schedule? And, you know, eventually if you keep winning games, you know, if your rating system falls, you're going to be picked to lose some games. But if you keep winning them, it's it's going to keep popping up. Or is that indicative a, a rough stretch is going to come? I, I don't have the answer to that. I am starting to begin to wonder if some of these ratings, and may, maybe this is just one of those things that this is what happens. When you have a team who <laughs> you cover or watch or whatever, and they're doing well in the rating system, you're like, yeah, yeah the rating system it's great. And then when they're not, it becomes, well, what's wrong with it, you know? And I don't want to get to that, but there really has been a, like, I'll put it this way. I'm starting to wonder if some of these rating systems overvalue the margin of victory at this point. And I get it. Margin of victory does matter because if you consistently win games by big margins, it typically means you're a better team. But I'm wondering if it's not in college, in a college basketball world where there are 360 teams, right? It's one thing in the NFL. There are only 32 teams. If you continuously beat everybody by a billion points, that's indicative. Is it really that indicative if you continually, you know, beat the spread by 10 points every game, but you're playing the 300th best team in the country? I don't think it is. Like, is BYU really the fourth best team in the country, or are they just beating up on bad teams? Because I kind of think it's that. I think BYU is good, top 25 team. Are they fourth? No. Alabama at 7-5, and five. are they really the eighth best team in the country? Iowa State, are they 12th? Because they so, I, I don't know. I'm starting to kind of sour on this a little bit. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, more to the KUEL game. Kevin McCuller was unbelievable for Kansas. 34 points for the Jayhawks. And it continues to be amazing how Bill Self, there's always that one big decision of the guy, could he come back, could he not? Close to entering the draft. Bill Self convinces him to come back. And it works out for all parties involved. They have unbelievable seasons. Happened with Ojak Baji Happened with Jalen Wilson. Now it's happening with Kevin McCuller. I joked about this like a week or two ago. What does that mean if, if Hunter Dickinson does that next year? What does that bump look like? I think the more realistic bump is you would look at maybe Dewan Harris or KJ Adams in that, in that vein. But anyway, um, Kevin looks like a legit All-American right now. He looks like a legit National Player of the Year candidate. I think I got before the season started. I got Kevin at 200-1 to one to win the National Player of the Year. I don't know if that's actually going to happen because it's hard for Zach Eadie not to win it. Maybe there becomes voter fatigue. But Kevin's doing everything in his power to get in that conversation. 20.5 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, almost 5 assists per game, 51% from the floor, 41% from three, 83% at the free throw line, 1.6 steals, 0.8 blocks. He is doing everything. For this Kansas team, he is scoring when they need him to. He is being the big bucket getter. He's hitting clutch threes throughout the games. If the three point shot continues, he's going to be an All American, and he's going to be in it till the very end on the National Player of the Year race. And that is so cool to see. But beyond that, you know, one of the other biggest happenings in the game was Nick Timberlake kind of arriving. He played twenty nine minutes which was indicative of Bill Self giving him some trust. Now, how much would that have been if Johnny Furphy was there? Who knows? We might never know. But maybe this is the dose that you needed for Nick Timberlake to have the longer leash for a game, get more run, scores 13 points, hits three threes. He probably felt like he could play through mistakes a little bit more in this game without Furphy. Maybe this gives him the confidence boost he needs going into Christmas break, comes back, and now can be that guy. And I think when you look at Marco Jackson struggled in this game. I've thought that Marco's played a bit better in some of the recent games, but um, I thought this was a tough one for him. Is it ideal if Nick Timberlake eventually becomes the fifth starter? I kind of wonder if it is. I mean, both Marco Jackson and Nick Timberlake are going to continue to play, and you have such a short bench. Either way, minutes are going around. But from a standpoint of you look at how Yale's defending the KU offense, like Hunter Dickinson has single-digit points because every time he's catching the ball, there's two, three, four guys around him. Teams are sinking in on the paint. How much does having Nick Timberlake out there, and and it goes down to a couple things. One, he's got to be a proficient shooter. You know, coming into this game, he's shooting under 30% from three. If you're going to be the shooter, shoot it, you know? So part of it is he's going to have to shoot 35-plus percent from three. The other part of it is, I don't think the expectation is ever to be a a plus defender. Can you just be below average? Can you just know where you need what you need to do in the scouting report? Can you be a good team defender? Right? If you can do those things, I don't think it's unreasonable, but I also don't want to overemphasize it because it's still just one game. And it's a game without Johnny Furphy where there were more minutes to be had. So we will wait and see. But that was a great positive development because I really do think the difference between. You know Kansas being a possible national title team or not could be is Nick Timberlake giving you eight points per game versus is Nick Timberlake not playable? Like Those could be the two differences because KU doesn't have a lot of other players who can shoot it like Timberlake when he's right, and we saw that in the Yale game. Uh, but beyond the last 10 minutes and, and some of the offensive stuff, KU's defense was excellent all game long, which to me was kind of spearheaded by two guys. You had Dewan Harris, who had four steals in a block. Three of the steals in the block came in the second half. And KJ Adams. KJ switched on to Danny Wolf, their good big man, after Wolf was having uh kind of his way with Hunter Dickinson. I did not realize I, I knew Danny Wolf was seven feet tall and that he had good stats and everything coming in. I didn't realize how good of an athlete Wolf was for a seven footer. He could dribble, he had that spin move, had a little bit of quickness, he could hit a step back three off the dribble. I was really impressed with him. When you put KJ Adams on him, it shut him down for the rest of the game. And that was the difference of the game. Yale's offense was not great. They scored 60 points. They had 18 points in the second half until they went four or five to finish. Your defense was the difference here, and K.J. Adams basically took away what early in the game, Yale wanted their go-to option to be. Then beyond that, Dewan Harris was causing all sorts of havoc at the point of attack. Gets all those steals, leads to easy buckets, leads to transition points, to speeding up the game against a team who wants to play it slower. And that was a huge difference, too. When Dewan's playing like that, when he's locked in, as much as we talk about can Dewan be aggressive, can Dewan score the basketball? If you give me the option between Dewan scoring 10 points or Dewan having three or four steals, I'm taking the three or four steals. Because this KU team getting easy buckets, getting out in transition for a team that hasn't been great in the half court is so critical. And I think to play to your strength, you need DeWan to look like the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And I think up until a couple games recently, that hasn't always been the case this year. It's felt like he had been a much better defensive player last year than he had been this year. But we saw that ramped up in the game against Yale and doing something that I think this KU team needs to do better at and can do better at when you look at the potential of what they have with the personnel is forcing steals, creating turnovers. And they did it in this game, and Dewan was a big reason why. But him and KJ took over that game defensively, while Kevin and a little bit of Nick Timberlake took it over offensively. So I still do have real questions about what this offense is, what this offense can be. This is one of the lower ranked offenses of the Bill Self era. How dependent are they going to be on Nick Timberlake? Do they have enough spacing, shooting, respective shooting? Do they have enough bucket getters? Do they have enough scoring from the guard spots? You know, I was watching the uh, over Christmas break. I was watching that Arizona-Florida-Atlantic game, which was the best college basketball game I've seen this year. Went to double overtime, two really good teams. Arizona could win a title. I mean, honestly, Florida-Atlantic could win a title. They, they went to a Final Four last year, bring everybody back, and, and you know, even some of the metric sites, like their top 15 team. I watched that game, and it felt so different than watching the KU basketball game right now. And different doesn't necessarily mean better. But it felt different from a standpoint of you watched both of those teams go back, uh, you know, just trade blow for blow with each other, where it was guards creating shots, guards making tough shots, guards getting their own bucket. And when we talk about March and talk about guard play winning, do you have enough of that right now if you're KU? Do you have enough scoring in general? You know, those are real questions and they continue to be. But you won by 15 in a tough spot against a pretty decent opponent, got hot to finish, and there were certainly some positives to take away, like a Nick Timberlake one that makes you feel like, okay, maybe that is something that's going to get better as the season goes on. The, the Dewan Harris forcing turnovers as a defense, maybe that's something that can get better as the season goes on. So, uh, not KU's best effort, but by far from their worst either. All right, let's get to some uh, KU basketball post-game audio from Bill Self. Nick Timberlake, Kevin McCuller coming up on the other side. We also get to our KU basketball biggest takeaways from the game. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com or the KLWN app. Of course, we got uh, your KU-UNLV game tonight, 8 o'clock. Pre-game will start at 6.30 here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 uh, KISS for the guaranteed rate bowl. All right, so KU basketball takeaways, and uh, this will wrap up our last segment of the 4 o'clock hour where uh, this is our KU basketball hour. More KU football talk coming in the 5 o'clock hour. Let's start with our biggest positive from the KU basketball game. I think forcing turnovers uh, would be one of the biggest positives for KU because this has been something that I've harped on all season long. I've I've talked about this before. Last year, KU was a, a, a team that forced a lot of turnovers. They were uh, 65th in the country in turnover rate defense, and they were 17th in the country in steal rate defense. They were good at both. And yes, there's some personnel changes, but your two best players at that last year, Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, they're both back, both back to this year's team. And actually, KJ Adams averaging more steals this year than last year, so you have an improvement there. Hunter Dickinson's been you know getting over a steal per game, so uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be you know around as good as you were a season ago at it. Uh, right now you're 217th in the country. You're 106th in the steal rate defensively. Both those numbers went up after this game, though, so that's the positive. And you didn't just force turnovers. They led to easy points for you, which can help an offense that has some woes and has some, some troubles like KU's does. KU led 23 to 7 in points off turnovers, and they led 19 to 9 in fast break points. What does that come down to? It comes down to the idea that. You were forcing turnovers. You were getting easy buckets from it, and I think DeWan Harris really turned things out. He had three steals in the second half. He had four for the game. He was a big reason why you did well here, and as we heard in that Bill Self-audio previously, that was something he said that he feels like he, he could do a better job at, and he did it in this game, and sure enough, you uh, you know had – Uh, a strong run of play in that second half. I think just in general, too, you could say the defense overall was a big positive here. Um, They scored, did Yale, they scored 18 points in the first 16 and a half minutes of the second half. So, like, you were just shutting them down from scoring in the second half. They only notched 27 points in the second half in total, and that even took them going four for five in the final three minutes with a couple of made threes. Defense continues to be the strength of, of this team for KU. And, yes, there are certain matchups that can give KU problems defensively, like if you can space it, if you can shoot a bunch of threes. But still, the defense is is the much bigger strength than the offense right now. And I think you saw it in this game, too, which is a big part why we, was you uh, forcing those turnovers. Uh, the other biggest positive to come away from this game is, is Nick Timberlake's production, right? 13 points. He hits three threes for you. He was confident continuing to take shots. Um I don't think the idea is ever going to be, can he be a plus defender? The idea is just, can he just follow the scouting report and know where to be where he can at least be a below average defender, where he can at least be a decent team defender, right? Where you're in the right spot and you're not going to mess something up, right? Like, if you can at least be that, then as long as you're shooting well from three, which he hadn't been but did in this game, then that can come more to fruition. Because if you're not going to figure it out defensively, you basically have to be like a 45% three-point shooter to make it worth it. If you can be below average in defense, shoot 35 38 40% from three, somewhere in that range, that's how he makes an impact on the court. And it'll open things up for the rest of KU because the offense teams are, are packing the paint. Teams are throwing numbers inside to try to stop Hunter Dickinson. You know, Hunter Dickinson only had, a, I think, eight points, nine points in this game. And I don't think it was anything that he was doing wrong. He had a couple nice hits. And it makes, if you go back and watch that game, Every time Kansas tries to get the ball to him, and he's being like fronted the whole time, they have to lob the pass in, you will see three or four guys, like seriously, for Yale, collapse the paint and go after him. That is something that other teams have been doing lately, and other teams are going to continue to do. But if you have more Nick Timberlake and he's hitting shots, it's a lot harder to leave your man with Nick Timberlake, and if you do... It'll lead to an open three for KU. So that was the importance of getting him going in this game. How much does that carry over to the next game? How much does it carry over when you get Johnny Furphy back and now the minutes is going to be different? Now, you know, the, the leash is going to be a little bit shorter with Timberlake again, where it's like, no, you know, you played 29 minutes in this game, um, but how many of those would have gone to Johnny Furphy, right? Um, how much does that change? But it was nice to at least see that it's in there and to hopefully get his confidence going. Biggest negative from this game for KU was the uh, overall offense, I think. Um obviously they finished the game really strong. Anytime you you know put up I don't know what it was like 30 something points in the final 10 minutes of the game, that's obviously something that um is a good run of play on the offensive side of the ball, but up until that point it was a struggle. And overall for the game, this was clearly not one of of KU's better offensive games on the season, right? And that was very apparent through the first, you know, 27 30 minutes of the game Uh, you look at the efficiency of the offense points per 100 possessions KU in this game finished up fourth uh, like their fourth best of any game this season so yes it was a a good number for them to be at um, but that's because of those last 10 minutes right for the entirety of the game it wasn't great and even then like fourth best offensive game for an offense that right now is ranked uh what thirty-sixth in the country on Ken Palm is not like the best thing that you're striving for. So I, I know the last eight to ten minutes covered some things. You got a lot of turnovers, lead easy buckets. You got a lot of uh three point makes over that final stretch that made the offense actually look okay in the end. It was a struggle for the first, you know, you had forty one points with ten minutes to go. Um and the defensive rebounding I think too was was something that Uh, this was more of a negative for for KU in the game. Yale didn't come in being a good offensive rebounding team. And for the game, they collected 31% of their offensive rebounds. That's the third most, third highest percentage of offensive rebounds that a team has collected against Kansas. Eastern Illinois had the most. Marquette had the second most. Yale had the third most. Honestly, now that you're looking at it, like maybe there is some correlation there with when Kansas does not do a good job defensive rebounding, there's going to be problems because Eastern Illinois was much closer than you expected. Marquette was a loss and Yale was much closer for a majority of it. So that's something that overall, KU's has actually been a decent defensive rebounding team, but they have lapses like this game and what happened there. Uh, The other biggest negative here is I think Marco Jackson really struggled in this game. You know. I, I felt like El Marco was making strides, and even though it wasn't always showing up in the, the stat sheet, I, I felt like you were at least seeing, like, okay, he played one good half here, or, you know, he had a couple good moments here, um, or he, he wasn't a problem out there. This game, he ended up only playing 17 minutes. He had a 46 rating. So, basically, points per 100 possessions when you're out on the floor. KU as a team for this game, was that, like, 116? He was at 46 um two points one of six shooting the two was a really cool two. he like juked the guy to the ground and then hit a jumper uh he also had two two assists to three turnovers struggled with some of that uh that was a tough game for uh, El Marco jackson and uh, progress isn't always linear as much as you know it felt like El Marco's on a, a slow positive trajectory up sometimes you're gonna you know have one step forward and then two steps back and then the next game you're gonna take three steps forward and then the next one one step back and then the next game you know two steps it, right? Uh, it's not always exactly linear and maybe that's just what we saw in this one. Uh, the biggest neutral of the game was KJ Adams, I thought because uh, this was not one of KJ's better offensive games. He was uh, just two of eight from the floor he finished with just six points for the game o rating of just ninety for for KJ so offensively not a good game for KJ after he had a really wrong strong run of play um on the offensive side of the ball. but the reason he's biggest neutral is because he was unbelievable on the defensive side of the ball we talked about how good the defense was over the course of the game. And that's what kept you in it, even when you weren't scoring, was your defense. And um, the two biggest players for the KU defense of the game was KJ Adams and Dewan Harris. Dewan forced all those steals. I mean, even Kevin had two steals and a block. But uh, KJ, beyond having two steals and a block, he was the difference in defending Danny Wolf. Danny Wolf only finished with 11 points for for Yale. How that game started, it felt like Danny Wolf could have gone for 20 if he would have stayed on Hunter Dickinson. I know he had at least five points when Hunter Dickinson was guarding him. It might have been seven. Either way, that means Max KJ gave up either four to six points when Wolf was on him or when he was on Wolf. excuse me. And that's a really good player in what we saw from Wolf. He changed the game. He changed Yale's ability to basically say, hey, we're going to give it to our center and just let him um, use his quickness and space the floor with Hunter Dickinson and dribble around him and and do that sort of thing. By putting KJ on him, it basically changed the game for Yale. They had to change their offensive, uh, I guess, go-tos, what they were doing in the game. And so from that standpoint, KJ was a huge plus defensively and did not have the best game offensively in addition to contributing to KU's lack of uh, spacing there. Biggest neutral also was Jamari McDowell's minutes, I guess. Uh, because he only played five minutes in a game without Johnny Furphy, uh, which was fine because Nick Timberlake ended up having all that production, but just kind of classic that it's like, oh, you have this guy play well in Indiana that he doesn't play uh, a ton the next game, even without Johnny Furphy in the next game. So uh, just kind of funny there. As far as the KU play of the game, I've got some options here. Um, the first one came in the first half. KU was obviously struggling. They got down 25-14, and it just became about trying to, kind of survive the end of the half and can you get this thing closer well it was 25 16 with five minutes left in the first half kevin McColler got a steal uh, immediately like off the steal gets it to Duan, who eventually passes to kevin who runs up the sideline and then McColler gets an and one hits the free throw makes it 25 to 19 that was a big bucket to you know keep you within striking distance when they were on a run uh, you yeah, that 7-0 stretch to finish the first half that changed it from being 33-25 to 25 to 33-32. Uh, it started with a Dewan Harris corner three. Dewan Harris alley-ooped to KJ Adams, which is like a line drive oop that might have just gone in on its own. And then uh, DeWan had a steal and then gave it to Kevin, who was fouled and hit both. And I think this in itself shows you the importance of DeWan. In that, when he is aggressive, when he is in go mode, you look at a big 7 0 run, Dewan 3, Dewan assist, Dewan steal, and Dewan assist. It's him at the forefront. We haven't always seen that as much this year as maybe we did last year, but when it's happening, it is so impactful. Uh, there was the Kevin McCuller corner three to tie the game at 41. That was with 13 and a half seconds left. So that was one, um, or 13 and a half minutes left, excuse me, that uh, tied the game, and you never kind of look back from there. Uh, you had the Kevin McCuller lob dunk on the inbound to go up 49 to 43. Uh, you had the KJ Adams uh, drive where he was blocked by Wolf, but he gets it back under the hoop, saves it in, and all in the same motion after getting it back, saving it in, finds Kevin McCuller on the side who hits a three and puts you up 54 45 with 705 left. That was a big play. And then uh, Kevin hit the NBA three to kind of ice it. That was with 541 left, which made it um, from what was a 12 point lead. To a 15 point lead at 62 47, um, which yeah, that that felt like that was the shot that kind of was going to be like okay, good night here. Uh, and at the time, that gave him 31 points. He ended up with 34. So uh, I, I think if we're picking one, I'll go I'll go with that one because it was. Kind of the capping for him to get his first career 30-point game. Obviously, he ended up hitting the next three, which was uh, the banked one that went in. But an unbelievable performance by Kevin. And certainly, uh, that's another takeaway from the game. That, you know, Kevin does look like a real All-American. He looks like a real National Player of the Year candidate. And he had a bunch of big plays to kind of will you for the win. Very similar in a lot of ways this game to KU's game against uh, Harvard last year. Ivy League opponent. Closer than you thought for a bit of it. KU closed strong, ended up winning by 15. KU closed strong, ended up winning by uh, 14 uh, in that one. And uh, you had Jalen Wilson go off in that one to kind of will you to win. Kevin McCuller goes off in this one to will you to win. Your kind of senior wing, who's you know been a good player and taking that next step up to uh, all-American level player. All right, we're gonna take a time out here. We got more KU football coming at you on the other side with our KU football game picks. Some KU football audio with uh, Rock Chuck Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We got your guaranteed rate bull coverage starting at 6.30 for pregame. Kickoff will be at 8 o'clock here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. 5 o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with you here. We are out at our normal time, 6 o'clock, and then at 6.30. You're going to hear Crimson and Blue Show coverage starting between Kansas and UNLV right here on your original home for the Hawks, KLWN, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Kickoff will be at 8 o'clock again here on klwn.com and our sister station 1059kiss.com. All right, uh, we're going to get some KU football audio from Guaranteed Rate Bowl Media Day in our next segment. Got to do our uh, KU football game picks for this one. And uh, Nick on the year in football has gone 13 and 12. I'm just 11 and 14. Let's get back to 500. Perfect 3 and 0 in this one. First up, Kansas is minus 10 on DraftKings. This is a line that, you know, was, it was 11 and a half, 12 and a half, 13 and a half. Uh, but really, kind of today, the, the line's been moving. The money's been coming in on UNLV. Is that indicative of, hey, of course money's coming in on UNLV. They're a team from Vegas, so people are, are picking on the hometown team. Is that indicative of some of the opt-outs and, and possible injuries that Kansas uh, could be undergoing headed into this game? Is, is it just an indication that maybe the line's too big? Um, I'm going to take advantage of it. I, I don't know. Maybe this is doing the wrong thing with Vegas, but me and Nick are both going to take Kansas minus 10 against UNLV. I get it with some of the opt-outs. Yes, that does make it scarier, uh, specifically the the ones that scare. Austin Booker is the best play. Well, I mean, Dominic Pooney is really, really good, too, so I don't know. Pooney and, and Austin Booker are the best players that are opting out here. Um, so I guess it can be even just from, like, the perspective of that. Um, and, and Calvin Clements is very talented. Our Reed Adams, I, I think can fill in admirably at, at right tackle. Uh, I guess you don't really have anybody else like Austin Booker. I mean, Jeremy Robinson had solid sack numbers, a secondary guy this year. So, uh, it'll just be interesting to me, but certainly where you feel like Kansas should have a big advantage is their offense against the UNLV defense that hasn't been great this year. But if the tackles are struggling, what does that do for Jason Bean, who, um, you know how how does he deal with kind of the pressure? So I am more worried about the offensive tackles than I am on on kind of the defense side of the ball. Both could have an impact. I still am gonna roll with Kansas minus ten. The uh, over under sixty seven points. Uh, both Nick and myself are gonna go with over on this one. I know that's a lot of points. Uh, Forty two to twenty eight gets you there. It gets you over. Um, let's see what what else would be good. Forty five to, to twenty four would get you over. Um, Forty two to thirty one. You know thirty eight to thirty one would get you over. I think Kansas is going to score a lot of points. When you look at UNLV struggling defensively, struggling and uh, giving up long passing plays, they've given up multiple rushing touchdowns in eight of their games defensively this year. I think Kansas should be able to score in the mid to high 30s, if not into the 40s. And then you look at the UNLV offense. They're a good offense. Caves without Austin Booker, they could very easily score in the mid to high 20s into even the 30s or, or the high 30s at that point. So, yeah, I, I like the over here as well. Uh, favorite prop bet, Nick is going to go with Jason Bean over 23 and a half rushing yards. Um, I think that's a good one, too. What always scares you when you take those types of numbers, the rushing stats numbers in uh, college football, is that the sacks count against the quarterback in college. And that can be scary in this game, specifically when you look at it from the standpoint of, okay, if KU's without the tackles, if Jason Bean gets sacked more than you're used to, that would be the case. But this is what's crazy. Jason Bean's only been sacked five times all season. He got sacked four times in the Oklahoma State game alone. Every other game he played, he was sacked one time total, which was against UCF. He does a good job avoiding the sack. KU's offensive line is good. Now, again, different offensive line, but you still have some of those pieces here uh, that should be good, and and I trust Hank Fuchs and, you know, even even the guys who are filling in for those possible starters out are at least very talented. Um, You look at Jason Bean this year, he had 90 rushing yards against Cincinnati, he had 62 against Oklahoma, he had uh, 42 against Texas, he had 41 against Missouri State. He's shown the affinity to get above that number, and uh, I, I think... I like that one too for Nick. Uh, Jason Bean is over two hundred twenty-three and a half passing yards. That's the one that I'm going to go with because when I look at UNLV, their defense struggling against the pass this year, struggling giving up some deep pass plays. And what do we know that the KU likes to hit those deep pass plays? And what do we know that Jason Bean likes to hit those deep pass plays? He throws a really good deep ball. Now, how is the offense going to differ with Jim Zabrowski? Who knows? But even if you're just looking, I mean, two twenty-three and a half. So he had, let's see, 250 against Cincinnati, 287 against Iowa State, 218 against Oklahoma, 410 against Oklahoma State. So among his last four starts that he went the whole game, right, not counting the Texas Tech game, he would have been over that mark in three of the four. And you add to it that this is last game, Jim Zabrowski, who is the quarterback's coach slash co-offensive coordinator, who likes to be aggressive, I think it adds up to Jason Bean having a big game. Uh, if you are looking for some other ones that I'm not going to log, this is my official pick. It'll be the Bean over one. But a couple others that might sprinkle on. Devin Neal to score two-plus touchdowns is plus 165. Mentioned that UNLV has given up at least two rushing touchdowns in the game eight times this year. He's given up at least three rushing touchdowns in the game, um, I think four times this year. Neal to score two-plus touchdowns is plus 165. And then uh, Jason Bean, all 40-plus rushing yards. Feels like in the games that Jason Bean has those big rushing yard totals, It's big rushing totals. You know what I mean? It's not, it's usually he either goes for like 10, 15, or he goes for 40 plus. So you can get 40 plus at plus 290. I like both of those. So uh, you can get those at DraftKings and uh, sign up with code KLWN. All right, we're going to take a timeout, get some KU football audio. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.